turn to Romans uh, chapter 15 as we uh, as we are closing in on the conclusion of this wonderful uh, letter of Paul's Romans chapter 15 beginning at verse 22 This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any, wor- any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. This is God's word. We love the rich teaching, the theology of the Apostle Paul uh, in the letter uh, to the Romans. It is a masterpiece of biblical truth, yet we do not want to overlook the frame that holds that masterpiece. That is the opening 17 verses in chapter 1 and the concluding chapter and a half at the end. Uh, These passages autobiographical passages are useful too. We see the gospel at work and we see what it looks like uh, when the gospel owns a person. Uh, Paul's itinerary is driven by missionary zeal. Uh, Other work uh, had hindered him for a while uh, to keep him from coming to Rome, but now he's on his way by way of Jerusalem, dropping off some financial gifts there, and then he plans to stay in Rome for a while, for a while, and have them send him on to Spain. Now, did he ever get to Spain? We don't know. Some say that, yes, he did get on to Spain and then came back to Rome, where, in fact, uh, he was killed. Others would say, uh, no, he went from being imprisoned in Jerusalem to being transferred uh, to Rome to to appeal his case to Caesar where he was martyred. We don't know, and it really doesn't matter at this point. What we want to see is Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose is always and only the purpose stated in this book, first chapter Verse 5, last chapter, verse 26, he says, This is why I have written the book, so that the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from being connected to Jesus, the obedience that flows out of my faith union with Christ, 
That is to be celebrated, pursued, developed, prayed for in the life of the believer. And that it goes to the nations. The obedience of faith, not just for the Jewish nation, not just for the churches that already existed in certain parts of the, of the Near East, Middle East, but to the nations. That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's life. And so our purpose to t- today is to see for ourselves, not just Paul's itinerary, but to see and to pursue ourselves to fulfill the mission, the obedience of faith for the nations. The obedience of faith for the nations. What struck you as we opened up this reading, the first couple of verses today? Paul's phrase that there was no more room. No more room for him to work. And it leads us to to say that uh, sometimes the gospel can go no further in a particular place. Sometimes the gospel can go no further in a particular place. Paul was doing his pioneer work uh, on the northeastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, all the way from Jerusalem uh, to the, on the eastern part of the sea, and up around that arc, some 1,400 miles of serving, of planting churches in that reason, region. But now, he says, there's no more room. So he's free to go to Rome. Now, what does that mean, there's no more room? (laughs) Uh, It it could be that there is now no longer, um, uh, there is no longer opportunity because the churches have simply uh, covered that whole area. Uh, Churches are are, are all over. Uh, They have been trained. The elders have been raised up and trained. And and the churches are now self-sufficient. They are packed with people. Uh, there, this is a wonderful missionary campaign, the kind of thing you would love to send letters back home and say, God is working in an amazing way. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's also saying is that there was a little, a little outpost that was placed in, in many strategic places along the way, and he's anticipating their growth and penetrating their neighborhoods. Perhaps. It could mean that there is no more opportunity because no one is listening any longer. There's no response. He publicizes there's going to be a town meeting, come and and hear this new teacher from from, uh, Antioch in Jerusalem, and nobody shows up. There's no more interest. There's uh, There's no more opportunity. There's only opposition. There's no more room to work, either because of success, completion of the job, or perhaps opposition. What strikes me about this, and how this applies to you and me, is that either way, Paul thinks there isn't any more that he is required, that he needs to do in that region. His conscience is at rest. He's at peace. Even though, for example, as we will discover in the Sunday evenings hence, 
Paul missed nearly all of the seven churches that are referred to in the first couple of chapters of of, of Revelation. He never got there. And yet he was able to say, I've finished. And there's no more room. Someone could have said to Paul, "Um, you can do more. You can do more. You haven't done enough. You can go back and finish that work and preach one more time in each one of those town halls. You missed Sardis completely. Go back to Philly. I'm not sure if they called Philadelphia Philly back then, but there was a Philadelphia. Go back to Philly. Give it a whirl. But his conscience is clear. And he says, no more room. No more room. I'm ready to move and go back to Rome. Well, well, think about, think about yourself. As we do our personal witnessing, as we witness to, to uh, our, our neighbors, to family members, it, it is an easy thing for us to think about, well, we've just not done enough. We may go back time and time again to someone who is just death to the gospel. And it is heartbreaking to us. But we can be inappropriately, we can, we can be inappropriately crippled by guilt and a message that goes on in the, back of our, in the back of our heads. You can do more. You haven't done enough. Notice Paul does not beat himself up. He doesn't end up saying, oh, I should have stayed longer. This is a difficult thing. I think Robert, uh, Robert Murray McShane preached a, a passage, a, me- a sermon from, uh, from the Gospel of Mark, in which he was, um, he was talking about the, the, the woman who came to anoint uh, Jesus shortly before his, his, bur- his death and burial. <clears throat> and she broke open a very expensive uh, flask, you might recall, and she poured this oil on its head. Do you remember the response of the disciples? You're wasting! You're wasting all of that produce! You could, you could be doing something really significant with that. That expensive ointment. They, the scripture says they scolded her. They scolded her just like people may scold you. <laughs> just like you may scold you. But Jesus said, to the, said this to them. He said, leave her alone. She has done what she could. Jesus is saying to you and me then, do what you can. Did I do enough? The question that can often nag us is frequently a shame-based question. Jesus sets up this woman as an example, and he says to her and to us, do what you can. I want to think about moms for just a moment. Um, um, as, As I observe... And I observed one mom pretty closely for a number of years. As I recall and as I observe, um, moms uh, can feel like their work is never done. And, and in truth, it, it isn't ever done, is it? Not completely. 
There's always more that could be do that could be done. And moms often will scold themselves and they will say to themselves, I should be doing more. I should not only be homeschooling my kids during COVID, not only keeping the house great, but I've got to be reaching out to my neighbors as well in some way or other. And perhaps you should, but that's between you and the Lord. My point here is do what you can. Keep your conscience clean before the Lord and don't worry about other people. Parents, you can often look back and scold yourself for all the things that you should have done more and better. You can be plagued with self-accusation. You should have done more. Well, do what you can. Think about the neighbors in your, in your neighborhood. You, you're concerned for them, but it seems overwhelming. What do I do? How do I reach out to them? Well, just one at a time. Just do what you can. Greet them. Begin conversations. Listen to them. The Spirit will give an open door. Well, in the second place, um, we are not the church. We are part of the church, but we are not the church. This passage uh, wonderfully communicates the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church. Uh, just again, just very, very quickly, Paul, Paul is, is on his way to Rome, having, having stopped at all of those places along the, um, uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. He's, he's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to deliver some money that, was, that came from the Greek churches over here. He's going to deliver that money into the hands of, the, of, of the, the leaders in Jerusalem to care for the poor there. And then he's going to go to Rome, and he's asking the Romans, Romans there to help him, support him, as he goes further on west uh, to, to Spain. All, all of this is, they're not separate churches. They are interconnected in their love for each other, their love for the Lord, and the way they support each other. Um, much earlier, we, tell, we learn in the second chapter of Galatians that Paul was, was in, uh, Paul was in Jerusalem, sort of getting an imprimatur from the, the local leaders there as he was going to go off on his ministry to the Gentiles. And the parting words that they gave to him was, remember the poor. And then listen to what he says. That's the very thing I was going to do anyway. But they wanted to make sure that he remembered the poor. He was so devoted to that as part of the expression of gospel ministry. He had to do that. Before he goes to Rome, he's got to remember the poor. The very thing he was eager to do. And this, this is a beautiful picture. In, in verse 26, the, the word contribution shows up. There is a contribution that is being made uh, to the poor um, from the, uh, the Macedonians and Achaeans, the Greek churches, to the, to the Jerusalem church. There's a contribution. The word that is used there in, in, in the original language is, is koinonia. Koinonia, listen to this. That, that it's, not just, it's not just a payment of money. It's not payment of a tax, like a toll. It's, 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 we are part, 
Koinonia has the, has the sense of we are participating. We belong to each other. We are in a fellowship. You are me. We are together. And so that gift is, is, from, it, it's, is part within the body of Christ in fellowship with the, with, with the Lord. The Greek churches belonged to the church in Jerusalem. They were one church. They were pleased to make the gift. They didn't just owe it. They did owe it. There were spiritual blessings that they derived from the Jewish, the Jewish people as, as Jesus was, was the, the coming Messiah and all of that. That's beautiful and true. So they, they, they owed them, Paul says, a financial, a financial uh, gift. But that was a partnership. It was a participation. It was, it was um, um, because they belong, uh, they belong to each other. Now, I want to I take just a moment and, uh, and go to uh, the chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. On, on, there's a chapter there. It's called Communion of the Saints. And I just want, to, I want us to think about this. The reason I'm looking at this is because we oftentimes look at this section of the Confession, what it teaches that the Bible teaches about our work in the church, here, faith church. We think about how we are supposed to function. Um, all saints united to Christ have fellowship with Him and being united to one another, they participate in each other's gifts and graces they're ob- that are, they're obligated to perform uh, which lead others to their mutual good. Lead to their mutual good. Okay? Receive gr- gifts and graces from Jesus. They're obligated to share them within the body of Christ for mutual good. According to the various, second paragraph, according to their various abilities, do what you can, Jesus is saying, according to your various capabilities. My, my point here is that we think of that as largely or, or almost entirely, oftentimes, related to what we do here in the local church. That is true. That is true. But it is between congregations, too. And I think that, that Presbyterians, if I can just raise that flag for just a minute, have a, have a bit of an advantage here. Because we understand that, that the, the, the church in New Jersey is not just us, but it consists of about 20 churches who work together, including a, a, a really neat little bunch down in Puerto Rico. We're one. We, we know that. And it's a great thing. So we pray for the churches of our presbytery. And, and this week I want to share just one happy story about something that has been unfolding for a while. Our dear friend Bradley Lopez down in Arroyo um, has a pretty extensive family. Whenever they wanted to go somewhere, they had to pile, Eileen had to drive one car and Bradley had to drive, so they had to have a caravan to go anywhere. And, um, and, and Bradley began praying for another vehicle. And he even asked if, if there might be some help that we could give him, that we could participate with him. Participate. You see, that's our family down there, not just his. And so an amazing thing came together. Um, several thousand dollars came from the denominational home missions committee. Okay, That's a national group that oversees missions all over the, 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 the country. 
But then also some money from our own presbytery came. Another several thousand dollars were able to send down to Bradney this week as the down payment so that he could get a van that he could afford that would be adequate for his family. That is, that is beautiful. It is participation in one another's lives. We owe it to Bradney because he's one of us. We owe it to Aileen. She's one of us. And their kids are our kids, too. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. But the OPC is not the church, either. It is part of the church. And the more I get to know about what's going on in Firm Foundations of Christ Ministries, for example the more truly amazed I am at the Spirit's work in that organization, through that organization, as they are involved in training church planters and discipling people who are raising up new Christians in Africa as well as many other places in the world. This is absolutely staggering, people. This is amazing to me that, that in a few months there is a meeting scheduled where they're going to have people together whose purpose is to disciple those who are Muslim background believers. Many of these people, if not all of them, I'm not sure exactly how it works, from Muslim backgrounds themselves, now being trained to reach this part of the Muslim world. And they're expecting 1,000 people in that training session. This is staggering. And we can be a part of that. We have been. We continue to be a part of that through prayers and finances. It's an amazing thing. Well, you think about even people here. Think about people in our area. I, I'm, I'm... What, what, about, what about people? Remember the, remember the poor. That's the very thing I was eager to do, Paul said. Remember the poor. Uh, the people who are hurting and perhaps even hungry right now due to COVID. Um, we, don't, we don't see them here. We don't see them here. We seek to reach out to those in our congregation and to find out how they're doing. We're not aware of anyone within our own church that is that is in danger of losing um, home and, and, and so forth. We're not aware. We want to know that. And if you're aware of some of that, please help us to know. But then also, what about other churches in our area that are, that are helping, that are aware and are invested in, in working with people who are really deprived because of COVID? Not enough money to pay rent or mortgage. Not enough money to buy food. Just, if we can find out, if we perceive that there are people nearby who are engaged in that kind of that kind of ministry, what a wonderful thing for us then to be able to be part of too. Because it's not just our church, and it's not just the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We are part of the church, and it's our calling to do what we can do, what we can do because they're part of us as well.
Well, the, the, third, the third thing then is um, settle, settle for no less than the fullness of Christ's blessing. Verse 29 is a little bit hard to understand. Um, I'm going to lean on some people well-respected as I unfold that, but I know, uh, Paul says, that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He's coming to Rome. He's going to minister there for a while, and they are then going to spin him off as he heads further west to Spain. At least that is his plan. And he says... Um, when I come to you, it will be in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. D- does that strike you maybe as arrogant? <laughs> I-, I know I'll have, we might read it, I know I'll have Christ's full blessing because I am a super Christian. And I'm going to come to bless you as only I can do because I'm special. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he is a humble and yet confident Christian. He's in Christ, and so he is bringing the fullness of Christ through his word. He's bringing the fullness of Christ through his word, which we have just unpacked over the past couple of years. The fullness of Christ. I think John Murray is right that he is also bringing what he is also talking about what he's imparting to the Romans to build in them for their life and ministry. So he comes in the fullness to build and create this fullness in the lives of the Romans. And isn't that what we want? Uh, The fullness, the fullness of Christ's blessing. Now, I want us to take just a few moments here and, and look again at the Shorter Catechism number 36. Because I think this is, helps us to understand what that fullness even is and what the life of fullness looks like. What does it mean to have the full blessings of Jesus Christ? It is to know you're welcome. You're, you're being brought into the very presence of God, accepted by Him through the grace of what Paul calls justification. It is to know that you are also a son or a daughter of God's. You are what Paul calls adopted into his family. And he and the Spirit is sanctifying you. And that changes you. It affects you. It produces much good fruit in you. Listen for just a moment. Justification, that is God's acceptance because of the righteousness of Jesus as sinners are pardoned. Sinners pardoned. Now, we know we're sinners, and we know we've got this burden, but we're pardoned. We, we may not greet one another as sinners and say something like this, you haven't done enough. Not our place to do that. We're forgiven sinners, and yet we often fail to see each other that way. We fail to see and look and view and regard and treat one another as forgiven sinners. So that's the first thing there is to bless one another. Joyful and free people pardoned by the blood of Jesus. And so we give a great gospel welcome as we come home here to worship the Lord together. And then, and then there's the adoption. 
We're received into God's royal family. And so we also respect each other as, royal, as royalty. You, you belong to the king. You're one of his. And so am I. We belong to him together. And what is it about God calling God Abba, Father? That, that God, our Father, is more kind and gentle with us in the way he deals with us, the way he draws our life circumstances together, what he gives to us that we may even think is difficult. He is more gentle and kind with us than even we are with ourselves. Oh, what a great thing it is then to come together, to come together. And, and this is our, this is like our family meal. This is like a, this is like our, our, our Sunday dinner to come here to feed on God's word together. And then at the end of the month, as we'll have the Lord's Supper, it's like a Thanksgiving dinner. And we're so glad to be together to receive grace from God as his children. And we're also, we're also being sanctified. John Bunyan, in his book, The Holy War, speaks about a, a battle going on in the town of Mansoul. He, he was big on allegory. Can you figure that out? Mansoul, what's that city? Well, that's the city in our own lives. It's the spiritual battle that goes on in our own hearts. And one of the things he says in that book is, is that um, this, the sphere or the image of, of uh, El Shaddai, King Shaddai, God Almighty, the image of Shaddai has been defaced and made ugly by Diabolus, the devil. And he says that the image of the devil then uh, dominates you and me as unbelievers. And this mystery, this beauty of sanctification is that now the Holy Spirit is working to to uh, restore the image of God, of, of Shaddai, in our lives and to, and to push out and to, and to just move aside that image of Diabolus so that we do look more like Jesus. We are becoming beautiful again. And remember what we had confessed a few, a few moments ago. We have the assurance of God's love and the peace of conscience. Because Jesus has done enough. Peace of conscience. Joy in the Holy Spirit. We're able to serve the Lord with gladness in what he calls us to do. And there's an increase in grace. A perseverance to the end. A prayer that I make um, nearly every day myself and I've given this prayer to others to pray. It concludes this phrase, this phrase, Father, thank you for the grace that has preserved my life to this moment. And when I pray that, I think about many moments that have gone on before. And he's gotten me through it. And that helps me believe that the rest of the moments of my life, he'll be there to sustain me. What do I need to do? What Jesus says, you can do this. Do this for me. So I pursue and we pursue the fullness of Christ. Walking joyfully in the truth. Because our Jesus has come to set us free.
and you shall be free indeed. And the freedom that we have in Christ quiets those voices. Oh, you should be doing more. Oh, you can do better. And we hear what Jesus has to say. Do what you can. Do what you can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you, how we thank you this day, how we marvel um, at your sufficiency for us. And we, um, we bask in the fullness of your salvation as sinners um, fully accepted, as brothers and sisters in your family and those in whom your Holy Spirit is working. And how that produces joy in us. Thankful service. Thankful service. Love for one another. Love for you. We pray that for each person um, in the hearing of my voice today in this room, um, in the fellowship hall, and uh, perhaps over the internet, that we would be people who want more than anything else to walk in the fullness of Jesus have our eyes, spiritual eyes opened to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that our lives of obedience would be based on what our Lord Jesus has done for us in his grace and mercy and kindness and tenderness and love. We pray these things in his name. Amen.